back just a second to Dan leaking the 1968 uh, Westmoreland's request for what 600,000 more troops? Yes, it was 600,000, which is a quantum leap. About it's right after the Tet Offensive or during the Tet Offensive. So, how did he leak that? What was the who did he leak that to? I don't know. I don't know. I only I think I learned from Dan after he was diagnosed. I learned it from him this year in the last month. Okay. And I think I'd even asked him before, and he didn't give me an answer. But as <laughs> he was dying, he did give me an answer. That uh, he even volunteered. We were talking about. It. He said, "Yes, I leave that." And while I'm while I'm thinking about it, because this has come up before, uh, and you've written about it, 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 the 1968 CFR meeting where they talk about the pressures on the dollar system, and I believe you've said that they also discussed that covert operations needed to be de-bureaucratized. They needed to be made less bureaucratic. Uh, where is the best write-up on this, on the minutes of this meeting that somehow got leaked? I think, uh, well, um, I, I, uh, who was the CIA uh, former officer who wrote a book about the CIA? It's a controlled book, but I think... He, um, Miles Copeland's maybe? No, 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 no. Before that, maybe so far before that that you you not you. Well, Copeland, know. Copeland wrote some of the first ones uh, in the fifties. Oh, uh, I think well, no, I think book, he left. I think book, he went to Alan Hamilton, but David Wise maybe uh, the secret no, government. He wrote, no, that was sixty four. Like yeah. The invisible right. government was nineteen sixty four, and this right, was right. In, sometime in the next decade. And okay. it was a bestseller at the time. It's obviously after '68 because, I'm t I, as I recall, uh, a, a good deal of the minutes of the meeting are in that book. And my, what, the way I remember what you just said is that it's a bit like you know we can't afford a big war in Vietnam, but the CIA was way oversized. It, it had become a bloated bureaucracy uh, to deal with Vietnam and to deal also with Project Chaos to deal with uh, anti-war uh, sentiment in this country, which was outside the CIA's charter, but they did it anyway. And um, and I think that, again, they it's, it was partly a question of money, that this was needlessly expensive, but also the whole idea of a, an intelligence force is it shouldn't be a bureaucracy. It should be people relatively small numbers of people who can reach decisions among themselves. And uh, bureaucratizing turns think thought into groupthink, which is a very poor substitute for thinking. And that's the problem of the world today, that, you know, that's why we get a war in Ukraine, for example. Putin's bureaucracy came up with a terrible idea, and then it was founded by Biden, initially perhaps okay, but now it's bureaucratized. And it's a huge operation, which all kinds of things are being funded by the defense budget, the support for Ukraine, which is a scandal in itself. Um, that's why Barbara Tuckman took a woman to write a book called The March of Folly, I think, about the stupidity of great governments, World War I. Everybody knew that World War I would be a disaster for everybody in it. 
And the, the head of the Bank of England at the time, I think his name was Montague Norman, predicted confidently, we can't have any more big wars, he said in 1910, I think, because we can't have them, they would be too expensive. But if, you're, if you have stupidity running the bureaucracy, it's groupthink, then you not only can have it, you will have it. And that's one of the really dangerous things right now, that through stupidity, we may take a war in Ukraine which should not be fought at all at this point. The solution is very clear. They almost reached a solution in Turkey, at, I think, the beginning of this year. Divide the country into the part that's pro-Russian and the part that's pro-West. That was actually last year. Uh, it was last in, year. I think it was April of last year. Right. It was, it was very shortly afterwards. It was just like a month or two after. So if ever they decide it's time for the war to end, they know how to end it. You can have a real plebiscite, you know, who votes when so many people have fled. It's, it would be problems. But the solution is clear, and the, what's lacking is the common sense to say that this war is not only a disaster in itself, it's potentially very dangerous because it's turning into an offensive war against Russia, and that's a formula for nuclear warfare. It's hard to see how that, that's either ended by agreement or it's nuclear. Right. Yeah, I said that. I said those things pretty early on in the conflict. I was like, I don't see how the Ukrainians can win unless the U.S. is willing to start a nuclear, spark a nuclear war, because whatever the Russians can escalate up to and including destroying any square inch of Ukraine that it wants to destroy. Yeah. Uh, you cannot win a war against an, when you're overmatched against an opponent like that. You don't have to know anything about the, about military tactics or anything. It's actually quite straightforward. Uh, it's a, the strangest. It's one of the strangest things I've seen really uh, that they, they see the U S seem to have provoked them into this on purpose. All of us outside government can see it clearly. But when you become a bureaucrat, you don't think as a human being, but you think as a bureaucrat, what you know what the bureaucracy wants to hear, you turn, and you, people have said publicly in Washington, we can't stop right now because this is our best chance to get inside Russia and get rid of Putin. That's proclaiming that you're fighting an offensive war, which uh, America should not do. And uh, I don't think that the European allies are, can be counted on to be strong enough to stop. That, that is madness. I mean, I'm talking now about madness, and madness comes out of bureaucracies. And that's yeah. why we've had wars. And we're, we are beginning to move away wars. We've solved problems without wars, like solidarity in Poland, got the, the largest army, land army in the world at that time out of Eastern Europe simply by uniting lots of people in opposition. Persuasion was more powerful than violence. And that's a key to the future. That's the way the country, the world has to move. The Civil Rights Movement was an example of that. To some extent in the Philippines, uh, they, they called it the, what was it called? The Revolution. People power. People power, yes. Well, it's, it it's happening, right. and we have to be midwifed by a uh, you know national endowment for democracy and such. Uh, oh William, yes, of course William it was. Robinson wrote a good bit on that. And uh, you know Reagan was the president, and he sent Senator Laxalt, who is not my favorite senator by any means, 
But he went to the Philippines and said, look at this situation, Marcus, you have to go. And Marcus left, and a dictator was deposed. But a component in that was the popular resistance, nonviolent resistance, which the, uh, the Americans both, they partly responded to and partly, as you said, encouraged. Um, but I don't care how dirty the clean nonviolent revolution was, it, it was non essentially nonviolent. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.